Malaysia Day brings countless reasons to celebrate unity, heritage, togetherness. This year, Mercedes-Benz gives you another reason. The Malaysia Day promotion. Own the Mercedes-Benz of your dreams today with our Malaysia Day promotion. Now with tailor-made packages and more. The Mercedes-Benz Malaysia Day promotion. Amazing deals going fast. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and of course, I've got MSP. Uh, I've got Matt here from culturepop.com. Uh, MSP, or Matt Splained, is back for another weekly dose of uh, future proofing. This week, uh, Matt Armitage on why AI may end up in your head, but you probably won't call it master. Point of order Are we calling the show Matt Splained or MSP from here on out? Hey, Richard. Well, it is matsplained because that's the only thing I know how to do. I end up matsplaining to people, whatever happens. Um, we did shorten it to, to MSP and there were a couple of other shows out there called MSP, but, you know, they, they weren't in a kind of parallel field, so it was no real issue. But since the pandemic and roughly a third of the world's population has started their own podcast, there are now loads of MSPs in the listing engines. So, uh Obviously, that's not a problem if you listen to us on or through BFM, but it is more of an issue, I guess, if you're trying to find us uh, on external feeds. Although, if they're listening to this, they haven't had any trouble finding it. Yeah, so this message is especially for the people who aren't listening to us and should be. And, you know, that's an awful lot of people. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we'll be using the more egotistical matsplained alongside MSP until this... Uh, uh, stuff all shakes out and of course the uh, search engines settle a bit don't you wish an ai could simply add your feed to everyone's podcast list well yeah that's the dream that i'm selling you know why have a, a siri or an alexa or a whatever it is google has when you know you could just have me uh imagine asking me what the opening hours of your local supermarket are or what the weather's going to be like this afternoon <laughs> and me saying i don't care I, I think I'd actually be the perfect digital assistant because I did ignore anything that I didn't think was important. And that's why we're talking about AI today. You think AI is inferior to you because it actually answers the questions people ask? Hey, I answer questions too. The difference is that people generally don't expect that they're going to like the answers. Uh, I think in many and most ways, you know, AI is inferior to all of us. Uh, Jeff Sandu was an AI and I wore him out. That's, you know, why you're here. Management <laughs> insisted on a human being that I couldn't break. So we have this strange perception about AI, possibly because of, you know, TV and movies and books, that it's all powerful and that it's correct all the time. You know, the, the, the Matrix and Terminator view of sentient machines that see the light and decide to destroy humanity. And it's easy to be dazzled by that image of AI. So a recurring theme on the show from a couple of years ago was how smart are our smart devices? Mm. Because AI tends to be really good at doing one thing, but on the whole, it doesn't multitask well at all. And that makes it extremely smart and extremely stupid at the same time. Okay, let's clear one thing up first. When we talk about AI, are we talking about hardware or software? 
Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? Because in the movies, it's usually both. Uh, there'll be a killer robot that's hardware, but it has a software brain. Or Skynet itself, which is obviously uh, software, but it infects every piece of hardware on the planet. So that line is often so blurred as to be uh, unreal or irrelevant. And that's a situation we're replicating now? Uh, well, to an extent, you know, we're putting chips and smart functionality into pretty much everything you can imagine, uh, including golf balls and coffee mugs. And while they don't have any AI capacity themselves, they do wirelessly communicate with apps on our phones and our other devices. Apps and devices that are controlled by AI or do connect to AI. So their data is being crunched by more intelligent machines. Uh, we've seen autonomous military drone squadrons being trialed. Now, one day they may have more kind of proactive and offensive capabilities than the ones we've seen, which have been simple surveillance drones. Um, you know, we don't normally go into a lot of detail about chips on Matt's Blaine. Because you're too busy with crisps. Yes, but computer chips, uh, you know, it's something that we try and avoid on the show because it's the part uh, that tech normal people tell me that they really hate. Hang on a minute. You know normal people? Uh, sure. You know, their comments usually come via my lawyers, but, you know, we do interact. Um, so for the next couple of minutes, please don't switch stations. I promise it will get interesting again. Um it's very easy to think that computer chips are all the same, that you can just throw whatever chip into a machine and as long as it's got enough power, it'll run that particular operating system. But chips are often designed for specific purposes or systems. So, for example, the next generation of Apple computers will run their phone and tablet apps natively. Of course, that will only happen if you buy into that next generation of devices because they'll be running on uh, ARM chips like the phones and the tablets do rather than the Intel chips that my just-bought Mac is running with. But, you know, I'm not bitter. Uh, even the um, chip makers themselves are blurring these lines. Like uh, NVIDIA? Well, yeah, you know, famously, I'm, I'm not a gamer, but um, NVIDIA, the company that makes the GPUs, which power a lot of our console and gaming experiences, they realized early on that they should make the chips as easy to use as possible by providing a software ecosystem for developers. And that means that game developers and the designers uh, only really need to know what the chip can do. And that gives them more time to spend on actually creating the games. And we're starting to see uh, similar developments for AI. Uh, yeah, I was reading a, a piece in Forbes from earlier this year called Artificial Intelligence, uh, Hardware and Software, History Does Rhyme. So NVIDIA is also leading the way in providing the same kind of architecture for deep learning GPUs. And that's being echoed by some of the new CPU startups like Brainchip, which makes a, a neuromorphic computer chipset. Neuromorphic, as in like the human brain. Uh, it's not as uh, scary as it sounds. So the Forbes author, David A. Tyke points out that uh, it's really a way of doing uh, a lot more parallel tasks. And that makes the chips chipset work. I can't say the word chipset. Um, that makes the chipset work a little more like the human brain than some others do. But creating an easy-ish to use interface to uh, use the, uh, the chips with should free up researchers to concentrate on the applications 
rather than having to have a deep understanding of that chip's architecture or programming structure. Mate, I think your time's up on chips. And as long as I don't say the word chipset again, yes, I'm happy with that. Uh, so really, the, the point is that it's immaterial whether AI is hardware or software. In most instances, it's going to be both. It lives in apps and on your devices and on servers. So you need to have one to have the other. Now, fanboys on both sides are going to tell me that I'm wrong. That's fine. Uh, but for our every, uh, everyday purposes, rather, what AI can do and is doing in our world probably has a lot more relevance. So um, just out of interest, what set you off on the anti-AI crusade this week? Well, I'm not anti-AI, but I don't think we look at AI very realistically. We both underestimate it and overestimate it at the same time. Uh, in terms of why specifically this week, well, I'm a big fan of uh, John Norton, a senior research fellow at Cambridge University and a tech columnist for The Observer. He has a very common sense approach to tech use, uh, to big data and the power of the tech monopolies. He published a piece a couple of weeks ago about Uber and Lyft and other gig economy companies that were the subject of a superior court of California ruling that gig workers had been incorrectly classified as independent contractors rather than employees. But how does that relate to AI? Well, as Norton points out, and as we've said on the show before, the business model of some ride-sharing companies depends on being the only game in town. So despite their ubiquity in many uh, cities and countries, Many of these gig economy companies make huge losses, losses that are covered by their investors and losses that subsidize every ride that people take, allowing the companies to undercut the traditional players in that part of the transport industry. So their enormous market capitalizations distract us from the rather more worrying idea that their path to profitability is that actually quite a precarious one. Firstly, uh, the low pay and an absence of benefits for drivers, that's the most obvious way to cap their current losses. But mm. for them to really make good on their potential, the drivers need to go completely. These companies need reliable AI-powered vehicles and a virtual monopoly in their corner of the transportation market if they're ever going to return the money that's been invested in them. But aren't we frequently told that self-driving cars are just excuse the pun, around the corner? Well, we are. You know, Elon Musk predicted in 2015 that we would have the cars by 2018. Uh, I'm not Elon bashing. Uh, if I told you Joe in accounts predicted when we'd have autonomous cars, you'd say, you know, so what? Uh, Musk runs the world's preeminent electric vehicle company, which is pioneering its own autonomous systems. So it just goes to show you that that corner seems to be moving ever further away. Like the flying cars. Uh, well, maybe, you know, we'll get into it properly after the break. But it seems strange to say it's easier for Elon to send a rocket to Mars than it is to create a driverless car that can operate safely and autonomously. And that's despite the millions of kilometres of data that autonomous car makers have amassed over the past 20 years. Interesting. Uh, when we come back, what to expect from the machine revolution? You are tuned in to MSP Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Baba from Malacca. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You are tuned into MSP, Matt Splained, here on BFM. My name is Rich Bradbury. Of course, I've got in the studio with me right now uh, Matt Armitage from culturepop.com. Now, um, that was deliberate, wasn't it? We ended the first part talking about the machine revolution, uh, and you're just trying to clickbait and scare people and, you know... Well, you know, I, I spent a big chunk of the first part talking about GPUs and chipsets, so I needed to inject, I think, a little bit of drama. Uh, in any case, you uh. know, a machine revolution doesn't have to be scary. Uh, the steam engine created a machine revolution that in turn created the industrial revolution, and that led, in a very long and meandering way, to artificial intelligence itself. Uh, if you want me to go back even further, then the invention of the plough and the larger scale farming and population concentrations it enabled, that was a machine revolution. Or the compass, which spread across the world in less than a century and la laid the foundations for capitalism and international commerce. Humans make machines. We're always in the middle of one kind of machine revolution or another. But with AI, we're finally making machines uh, that are smarter than us. Well, I think even that hypothesis needs some qualification. You know, we have this fear of machinery being clever. Uh, smart hairbrushes aside, most of the things we invent are smarter than us in certain ways. Fire is smarter than us when it comes to heating and cooking. A plough is smarter at mass cultivation. Uh, a combine harvester is infinitely smarter. AI isn't that different. It's smarter at certain things, but magnitudes dumber than a human being overall. Isn't one of the differences uh, that most of the, those other inventions still require human operators? Sure, but when you see uh, a, a fully automated production line or uh, a store that just has scanners and no counter stuff, you know, we've made those quite straightforward machines autonomous without anyone getting uh, freaked out. Yeah, but I, I suppose it's the idea that AI is in certain senses thinking and, and learning. Well, I guess that's one of the reasons that our progress with self-driving cars is a really good illustration of where we are with artificial intelligence. And just for the record, do you think we'll achieve the goal of AI-powered cars? Well, undoubtedly, but I think the time frame might be much longer than a lot of people assume or are hoping for. Again, as with flying cars. Well, I think as we've discussed before, you know, we can make flying cars. We've been making flying cars for the best part of 100 years. The problem with flying cars isn't the technology, it's actually the idea. Flying cars are just a terrible idea. They actually only stop being a terrible idea if we can get to the point where self-driving cars work flawlessly. Then we can take and apply that knowledge about cars on the roads to flying cars and hopefully make them autonomous and safe enough uh, for us to take to the skies. But, you know, current commercial airlines can land on their own. Yeah, but there's still a qualified pilot and co-pilot who are there for when those systems can't. You know, we've seen the result of uh, faulty automated systems in airplanes that can't be overridden by the flight crew. And that's kind of the point. Flying has a lot more variables than driving. So if something quite straightforward, like driving, which most people can do, throws up these really difficult to solve challenges for smart machines, it does give you pause to think how advanced they're going to get and on what timescale. And as we've said on the show many times before, the scarier idea is actually giving power to 
imperfect or dumb versions of machine intelligence. Where uh, then right now are the roadblocks when it comes to cars? Well, we had a a story on our Science is Slick episode um, two or three weeks ago about devising a quantum version of the game Go because Mm. AI is already better than the best players at the game. We also talked about an AI system that could help doctors to prescribe drugs better or to better monitor social media systems for inappropriate uh, content. But those are essentially straight line actions. And of course, driving is all about the corners. So is this your not so clever way of saying driving has more variables? Well, yeah. So the kind of deep learning we rely on for self-driving cars is based on data crunching, uh, huge sets of information about all the potential variables of driving. Uh, Something as simple as leaves falling from trees uh, or how weather conditions change the way the car should be driven. So according to Rodney Brooks, who I think uh, we mentioned many, many years ago, he's an Australian roboticist. Um, he doubts the, the, the time frame and the viability of uh, autonomous cars. And the problem comes largely from the way the AI controlling the cars actually interprets those data sets. He points out that an overwhelmingly statistical approach overlooks what are called edge cases, uh, which are the things that uh, don't appear or infrequently occur within those data sets. Like those falling leaves. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times have you been driving along when a plastic bag gets kicked up by the wheels of the car in front of you and it floats towards your windscreen or simply sits there in the the middle of the road so for you or i it's just a plastic bag you know our our brains are able to make very quick calculations we can quickly decide is the bag full is it empty and if there is something inside the bag we make that decision about the best course of action should we swerve around it or is it better to just drive over it Uh, something we don't always get right No, but at least we are able to make that decision quite rapidly. In an autonomous car, the cameras take that image, they match it to a database of known items and assess its impact as a threat. Now, that database may be local or it may reside somewhere in the cloud. Then for the AI to decide what's in the plastic bag and decide if it poses a threat to the car... That's another set of calculations, or in fact, two different sets of calculations. So as imperfect as humans are, we have millennia of threat assessment under our belts and brains that have evolved to evaluate those threats. And our assessment is broad in its uh, contextual analysis, unlike the current AI systems. I guess it also relies on the car's cameras being able to interpret that data correctly. Yeah, and that's not always a given. I mean, anyone who has ever pointed their phone camera or tried to take a a picture of someone with the the sun in the background knows how easily those lenses can be tricked or or, or whited out. Some people say the same about you. Uh, What, in terms of whited out? Yes, I I am literally a white balance nightmare. Uh, (laughs) And that's been the uh, case with uh, autonomous cars, you know, not seeing lorries crossing roads in certain lighting conditions or being confused by snow on the the road markings or signage. And the signage one is especially important. Uh, Imagine in the future if anti-autono car activists went around spray painting road signs because that was all it took to create gridlock. So we're talking about a narrowness in terms of interpretation. Yeah, I mean, it's very much uh, interpretation without understanding. There's a a cool piece at The Economist about this titled uh, Driverless Cars Show the Limits of Today's AI, which you can check out for more detail. 
it makes the point that humans apply top-up and top-down thinking to a problem. And that helps us to cope in situations where we have imperfect information. AI tends to be programmed to approach with one or the other. So the analogy they give is that AI essentially operates with only half a brain. And I think Mm. that's a really good parallel. It's one we see easily in things like uh, natural language processing and translation. And as the article points out, the systems do that kind of work without actually understanding basic sentence and grammar structure, which you have to remember are concepts that very young children grasp and master extremely quickly. So that brings us back to this idea that AI as we know it today is definitely more dumb than it is smart. So how are the scientists and their machines trying to solve these problems? Well, this is where we get into the the unsurpassable areas. So uh, one way is to widen the deep learning data sets so that the machines can begin to chart correlations and patterns through seemingly unconnected data uh, that may have been uh, overlooked in narrower models. Uh, So it's less about volume of information than scope. Essentially, but, you know, that's how... We learn. Uh, It's a bit like link hopping across the internet. Our brains let us jump from place to place and actually connect the dots. Other scientists want to return to the kind of research that was being done in the early days of AI, um, back in the kind of 70s and 80s, which was more about building machines that think along the lines of humans. The problem with this approach is that uh, it's often turned out to be a dead end. Uh, You know, as a species, we're really great innovators, but historically, we're terrible at replicating ourselves, as anyone who's seen the uh, movie Frankenstein uh, can attest. Uh, You know, robots with wheels or four or more legs are much easier to create than bipedal androids. And our brains are way more complex than the much simpler mechanics of the anatomy that we can't even get right. Are there some uh, potential solutions lurking in the uh, biotech sector? Well, there may be, but we we get into the caution stage there. You know, if we're struggling with concepts like uh, lab-grown meat, how on earth are we going to cope with biomechanical brains? Mm. So we've kind of trapped ourselves in this existential maze. We badly need AI to be smarter because the systems we have now, as evidenced by our progress with cars, are actually serving us very poorly. But we aren't ready for machines that are truly independent and intelligent. So to be really useful, AI has to at least be capable of human-level multitasking. But you still think we'll we'll get to that stage uh, where self-driving cars are a reality? I do, but I think we have to adjust our expectations in general. What I think we'll see is AI making enormous linear advances, but very slow tangential ones. So from a broader perspective, we'll probably have to get used to thinking about intelligence in different ways and accept that machine intelligence will likely never resemble our own. In fact, as it gets smarter, we should probably be ready to accept that it's only going to get stranger to us from that human perspective. And that AI consciousness, if it evolves, is going to be incredibly alien to us. Do you think uh, now's a good time to be looking at the ethical dimension? Well, we've already seen uh, people in Japan holding funerals for their Ibo robots, um, which are decidedly not sentient. We have to understand what it is that we're wishing or striving for. It's not enough to let the scientists 
beaver away and see where the technology takes us, because the technology can take us to some pretty dark and complex places. So we have to start making decisions about the role we want smart machines to play in our world, and we have to decide what the measure of sentience is going to be and what rights those machines will possess if they do develop it. So we've seen a, a lot of discussion and focus this year on the unresolved legacy of slavery in the United States. 150 years later, we're still seeing the inequality and destruction that that legacy has wrought. So if we can't sort out issues like those amongst our own species, what hope do we have of doing the right thing when it comes to intelligent machines? You can find Matt on Instagram at CulturePop and at CultureMatt. Uh, you can also head over to CulturePop.com where there are transcripts of the shows, articles he's written, and of course, information on the business and consulting side of what CulturePop does. And this has been MSP Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.